All right, let's go back. What I want to do, if you go back to the table of contents at the very beginning, I just want to reorient where we're at, right? Dan said we're coming close to the end of this quarter or semester or whatever we call it. And the focus in the first two classes has been really on setting, setting the stage, if you will, right? We talked about scriptures, bibliology, and then we went into the Trinity, God, and then this quarter we talked about Christ, and we're going to be finishing up. Um, next week on the Holy Spirit. And that really is going to set the stage for what happens next quarter, right? We talked about general revelation reveals um, a lot about God, but it doesn't teach us necessarily the way of salvation or who we are in the context of God, in context of the Trinity, right? So we're going to spend time talking about man, right? Who we are in that context, sin, and then obviously the way of salvation, right? That's all revealed through special revelation. So that's going to be a, a very exciting quarter. Um, so I hope you all can attend that. And then we'll finish up talking about the church, angels, and uh, eschatology, last things. Okay, any questions about that? Pretty self-explanatory. I was talking to my, my wife earlier um, in the week, and I grew up uh, a Catholic, and part of my testimony is after I got saved, um, our first duty station, we gravitated to a charismatic church because that's what my mom went to when she was first saved. And I don't say that critically. We, we have some beautiful, beautiful friends um, still from that church. But it really did distort our understanding of the Holy Spirit right, in many, many ways. And so we've had to kind of relearn, I'll say some of the terminology, but really the concept, the attributes. So this lesson, these lessons on the Holy Spirit have been um, just phenomenal. But there's a lot there, right, when we talk about all, all the roles and attributes. So I want to go back to, go back to page 70. I don't think we got a chance to cover this last week. And it's a good overview, that box in the middle there. And we're going to have a, a similar box at the end of this lesson. So it's a really good summary if you're ever going back to, what did that mean again to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? These are really, really great summary charts if you haven't filled that out. So a little quiz right from last week. What does it mean, what is it to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Nope. <laughs> Sorry. We, we want to be really clear though, right, to make sure we understand these distinctions so we understand them. So that would be the second one, the indwelling, right? The Holy Spirit living within the believer. That's what the indwelling is. And when does that happen? You just said it, right? At the point of salvation. So good, you got number two. <laughs> How about the baptism in the Spirit? When, it, when you see that in Scripture, what does that mean to be baptized in the Spirit? I understand what you're saying, but that's not correct either. <laughs> but thank you for trying. It's simply this. When, when it talks about us being baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are positionally being placed into the church body. That's what that means. Right? You, you were over here, and now you are positionally being placed into the body of Christ. And let me give you some passages that you'll want to write into your, your box there. So for the baptism, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is a great reference. 
right? Again, baptism of the Spirit being placed into the body. And when does that happen? At salvation. Right? The indwelling, we just talked about it. The Holy Spirit living within the believer. That happens at salvation. A uh, good reference is John 14, 17. All right, that last one then, the sealing. What is that? The Holy Spirit seals us. Simply think of it as a pledge, a stamp on us. You remember uh, Pastor Mike was talking about the, the wax seal, right? And you get the, the seal on there. It's a, it's a seal, it's a guarantee of who we are in Christ and that we will make it through to glorification. And that's really important when we are dealing with doubt or we need assurance, right? That we have been sealed. Nothing can separate us now once we are a child of God. That is a wonderful, wonderful truth. Um, the passage there is 2 Corinthians 1.22. I also really like Ephesians 1.13 and 14. Again, 2 Corinthians 1.22 and Ephesians 1.13 and 14. When does that happen? When are we sealed? Moment of salvation. So you can see um, this whole idea of baptism in the Spirit, the indwelling, and the sealing all happen at the point of salvation. And who does all that work? God. We have no play in it whatsoever. Right? It's all God. And that's going to be an important distinction as we move into this week's um, lesson. All right, any, and I thought Pastor Mike did a really good job of explaining, you know, um, tears to your point, what happened in the Old Testament versus this transition after Pentecost into the New Testament, where we certainly see evidence, right, of the Holy Spirit working through a, a person, but it's not the same as this baptism in the Spirit being placed in the church body, the continuous indwelling, right? At that point of salvation, you have the indwelling, the Holy Spirit is in you. You never lose that. That's the assurance we have. Never, ever lose that. Right? And, and again, we talk about it being the work of God. Monergistic, we call that. Mono, one. Right? As we talk about today's lesson, though, you're going to see that it turns to synergistic. Okay? Work of the Holy Spirit. All right. That brings us to lesson 12, where we're going to see this continuous work in a believer. So everything we just talked about happens at the point of salvation. So here you are. You are now a child of God. What happens next? What happens along this journey right to glorification? That's what we're going to be talking about today. And you hear the terms often, right? Sanctification, but filling. When we talk about being filled by the Holy Spirit, what does that really mean? And it's distinct from the indwelling. Right? And that's why, again, these tables can be so helpful to understand and make sure we understand the verbiage. Because, like I said, a lot of this has been distorted. And we need to be able to speak accurately when we're um, evangelizing and talking with folks um, outside of the church. So again, this is really, really important. So on the top of page 71, it talks about other works of the Holy Spirit in the believer. The Holy Spirit works in the believer to transform him into the image of Christ. The believer must submit to the Spirit and cooperate with him in this process of sanctification. All right, so let's unpack that a little bit before we get into the verses. Um, the subject of the Holy Spirit is, is who? 
believers, right? He's working through believers in this case. And what's the effort? To transform them into the image of Christ. What is the focus of the Holy Spirit? Always. Jesus Christ. It's never about himself. It's never about trying to bring glory unto himself. It is always pointing to Jesus Christ. And here you see the work that he's doing now in our sanctification is to do what? To conform us into the image of Christ. Our role then is to submit to that, to cooperate with the work that the Holy Spirit is trying to do. Again, we use that term synergism or synergistic, working together, a combined power. So here's where we see we do play a role in this, right? We do play a role in our sanctification. Before, it was just God, the baptism, the indwelling, the sealing. But now, being filled, we're going to see, is a work that we must perform as well in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. All right, so let's jump into some of these verses. Section 1 is, is really about the what. What is the Holy Spirit doing? Lewis, can I have you read uh, Romans 8.29? Yeah. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Great, all right? Romans 8, one of my most favorite passage, or, uh, chapters in the whole Bible. But you see here, right? Conformed to the image of his Son. That's the work that's being done. Uh, Miss Tara, can you read the next one? 2 Corinthians 3, 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Good. Another reference to being transformed into the same image. Right? We were made in the image of Christ, of God. The next verse, Ephesians 2.22, in whom also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Again, this idea of being transformed. Ms. Heather, can you read Ephesians 4.22, please? <clears throat> that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Good. All right, again, we see this laying aside. Now, We've been talking about this transformation, this synergistic action. I want you to actually turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4. We're going to spend um, quite a bit of time in that area, so you can hang out there. And Ephesians 4, if you recall, is that chapter where we often reference the put off, renew your mind, put on. That's where it's at, and it's, it's surrounding these chapters. So let's... Start in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. Ephesians 4, 17. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that ye walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the sea, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. 
So some of your translations, instead of saying lay aside, will say put off. Right? So this is whole, this, this um, action of what? This is a command to put off, to renew your mind, to put on. When we go back to being baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will never see that as a command. You're not commanded to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're not commanded to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That happens unconditionally by the Holy Spirit. Here, though, we see a command, right? We talk about putting off our old self. And it's a continuous command. It's called an um, present infinitive is the technical term for it, but it's this, this continuous action, right? It's an imperative, a command, something we have to do, our action. So that's the synergistic aspect of it, right? To put off, to renew our mind, and to put back on. Verse 17, right? This I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord that you walk, again, another command, an action that we are supposed to take. All right, so does that make sense? So we see here what the Holy Spirit is doing in this role. He's transforming us into the image of Christ. But we have an action to take, as we just talked about in Ephesians 4. I'm not going to read Ephesians 5 there because it really we're going to tackle that at the end of section 2 there. So let's just keep going. So that's the what. You're going to see in the next two points, 2 and 3, we're really going to talk about the how. How is the Holy Spirit doing this in our lives? How is He helping us to be transformed into the image of Christ. Item two, though there is only one baptism of the Holy Spirit, there can be and should be continuous fullness of the Holy Spirit during the life of a believer. If I could have someone read Acts 2.4, and we talked about some of this last week. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. All right, so if you remember, Pastor Mike, we talked about this episode and this transition, right, um, of Pentecost, of the Holy Spirit moving in a different way. And specifically, at that time, these, these other tongues were just foreign languages. It wasn't babble talk, right? And it was really just to um, authenticate or demonstrate the work of the Holy Spirit at that time. All right, we don't see that continue to happen because we have... God's complete canon in front of us. But at that time, it was meant to just authenticate. I talked earlier about the charismatic movement, and I'll share. Um, I was a, a new believer, but again, influenced by this charismatic church um, because it was a church that my mom went to, and, and tongues was a thing. And I can remember sitting in my basement one evening. I had a candle lit in my Bible, and I, I wanted to speak in tongues. And I just started babbling, and it was babble. But I'm like, this is great. And I remember at one point sharing um, that with Corrine, my wife. And if you don't know Corrine, she's the real deal. And so she, she kind of worked through that in her, in her own mind. And at the end, she's like, this is gobbledygook. This is nonsense, right? And she just called it like she called it. But it is. It's just it's silliness. Right, but but the focus in that in that movement was on the physical manifestation. How is it showing itself? How are the emotions playing out? We don't see any of that happening in Scripture. Is there emotions in us as believers? Absolutely. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, absolutely. 
but not the type that is focusing on trying to create these manifestations. Does that make sense? So you, you got to be really careful about that, and we go back to Scripture to refute that, to graciously, again, graciously walk them back to the truth. It's not about them. It's about being transformed into the image of Christ. All right. Next verse, uh, Acts 4.8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. So we just want to point out here, here's Peter doing an action before the rulers and elders, but he's, he's um, equipped, if you will, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to define that term a little bit more in a little bit. But I want to show you that, that these men are doing actions because of the power they have in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Uh, Miss Crean, can you read Acts 7.55? But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Good. So what was this episode? What's happening here? Stephen, Stephen being stoned, right? I mean, he's being stoned and he looks up and, and has this beautiful vision. Um, again, because he is full of the Holy Spirit. And then kind of our cornerstone verse that we're going to focus a lot on, Ephesians 5.18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. We just read that, okay? Um, let me go to a commentary. And again, I'm highlighting right now, it's a commentary. It's a person's viewpoint. This is John MacArthur. And I'm going to share um, a slightly different view, again, to give you some different views of this episode. And do not be drunk with wine. This is what MacArthur writes. Although Scripture consistently condemns all drunkenness, the context suggests that Paul is here speaking especially about the drunken orgies commonly associated with many pagan worship ceremonies of the day. They were supposed to induce some ecstatic communion with the deities. So MacArthur believes that, that during this time, that was part of false worship, was to get drunk because that was going to help with communication. All right, that's, that's one view. The point is we don't want to be controlled by drunkenness or any vice of that matter. He goes on to say to be filled with the Spirit. The communion with God is not induced by drunkenness, but by the Holy Spirit. Paul is not speaking of the Holy Spirit's indwelling or the baptism by Christ with the Holy Spirit, because every Christian is indwelt and baptized by the Spirit at the time of salvation, like we talked about earlier. Rather, he is giving a command for believers to live continually under the influence of the Spirit. So that's what being filled with the Spirit is getting at. It's about being controlled or yielding to the Holy Spirit. All right? Now, often we can wrongfully think of the analogy of, of fill. So, for example, I have a cup and we think about filling it with water and then we grieve the Spirit and our cup goes down and then we got to fill it back up, right? That can start to get to some of the emotions, some of the manifestation. That's not the analogy you got to put in your head. I'm probably dating myself, Popeye the Sailor Man, right? What would he do in trouble? He'd open up that can of spinach and then boing, Right? That's not what we're talking about when we talk about being filled. It's about being controlled or yielding to the Spirit. Okay? How do we know we are controlled by the Spirit? How do we know that that's happening? Go to Ephesians 5. 
Ephesians 5, the, the title I have in my Bible is about being imitators of God. And let me just read some of that. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk, again, that command, walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. You're starting to see the contrast, right, of being filled by the Spirit or not being filled by the Spirit. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from your dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And here's our verse, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And what does that mean? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I'll stop there. The rest of Ephesians 5 goes on to the marriage relationship. Wives, this is what you're supposed to do, being filled with the Spirit. Husbands, this is what you're supposed to do, being filled with the Spirit. Children, this is your role in Ephesians 6. So you have right there in Ephesians 5 great examples of what it means to be controlled or yield to the Holy Spirit. Right? And the contrast of not, of grieving the Holy Spirit. So flip over. We talked last week on page 68, I believe it is. Yes. Um, at the very bottom there. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And, and we talked about what does that mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? To cause sorrow. Right? It's not that you lose the Holy Spirit. It's that you're you're causing him sorrow because he's he's not you're not allowing him to transform you into the image of Christ when you let sin reign in your lives. That's what that means. That's a contrast of being filled and grieving the spirit. It's not a cup that loses its its level of water if you will, right? The Holy Spirit is always there. It's the influence that you're allowing the Holy Spirit to have on your life. That's what it means to to grieve. What's another great, um, can you think of another great example of if you're being filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit, what should you see in your life? What's a passage that comes to mind? 
Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Exactly, right? It's not, it's not holy dancing. It's not shouting. It's not babble. It's fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You want to examine yourselves and say, Holy Spirit, am I yielding myself to you? Examine the fruit. Galatians 5, examine the fruit. Okay, let me share a little bit more commentary. And I'll be very honest with you today. We only have one, uh, one page of, of verses, so we might um, end up early today, although it might give us some time to really talk through some application, which I think is really important, especially as we go back to the summary of kind of these six terms regarding the Holy Spirit. But we'll see. We'll see what happens there. All right, let me go back to um, some commentary here. This is from Paul Enns. He wrote the Moody Handbook of Theology. And again, just giving some different perspectives on, on this idea of being filled. The filling of the Holy Spirit is distinct from the other ministries of the Spirit inasmuch as it is conditional, whereas ministries such as the indwelling, baptism, regenerating, and sealing are, are non-experiential and occur but once at the moment of conversion. The filling of the Spirit is experiential and also repeated. Okay? The basis for the filling of the Spirit is Ephesians 5.18 that we just read. Be filled with the Spirit. The command to be filled with the Spirit is given in contrast to the warning, do not get drunk with wine. Drunkenness exhibits the inability of the person to control himself. The nature of the Christian's life is to be in contrast to the nature of the uncontrolled drunkard. The meaning of filled is control. The indwelling Spirit of God is the one who should continually control and dominate the life of the believer. So you see here, Paul Enns is, is not necessarily ascribing to what MacArthur said about the, the, the ceremonial aspect of being drunk. It, it could be, but I think more, more generally or more broadly, anything that controls you that is not the Holy Spirit right, is false. It could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be pornography, it could be any vice you want to think of. Anything that, that is causing your behavior, your actions, right, that you are yielding to. That's what you're doing. You're yielding to those vices. Instead, the contrast, the command, is to be yielding, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Um, John MacArthur again, and, and again, I want to read some of this because he talks about some of the knots. Paul wrote, and do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Since the Apostle began by explaining what being filled is not, it would be good to begin this discussion in like manner. First, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a dramatic, esoteric experience of suddenly being energized and spiritualized into a permanent state of advanced godliness by a second act of blessing subsequent to salvation. It is not a separate act. Right? We talked about at salvation you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. There's not another act that has to happen. Second, being filled with the Spirit is not a notion at the other extreme. Stoically trying to do what God wants us to do with the Holy Spirit's blessing in our own power. It is not merely a human act that has God's approval. So again, the other extreme is, is you know, we're going to follow the law, be legalistic. We're, we're, going to, we're going to muscle through. We can do this. We can't. Everything I talked about, the fruit of the Spirit, you can't do without being filled by the Holy Spirit, without being controlled by the Holy Spirit. 
Third, being filled is not the same as possessing or being indwelt by the Holy Spirit because he indwells every believer at the moment of salvation. Paul states in Romans 8-9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Unlike believers before Pentecost on whom the Holy Spirit would come temporarily, all Christians are indwelt permanently by the Spirit. Right? We talked about that last week. Tears, you brought that up again today. And I think, again, Pastor Mike did a great job of showing that distinction of how the Holy Spirit um, administered himself in the Old Testament versus what we have today. And what an incredible blessing, right? We can't lose that. We can't ever lose that. That should be so encouraging. Fourth, being filled with the Spirit does not describe a process of receiving him progressively by degrees. Again, we don't have a cup that over time it just gets fuller and fuller and fuller. The Holy Spirit's there. It's just a matter of are we um, allowing ourselves to yield to him. Every Christian not only possesses the Holy Spirit, but also possesses him in his fullness. God does not parcel out the Spirit as if he could somehow de- be divided into various parts. All right, just a couple more. Fifth, is it also it is also clear from 1 Corinthians 12 that the filling with the Spirit is not the same as the baptism of the Spirit. We talked about that. Um, I like this, this line he has here, though. Filling, right, this yielding, this controlling, can be interrupted by personal sin. That's when we grieve the Spirit. We interrupt this process of yielding to Him, of being transformed into the image of Christ. He was talking about the Corinthians being immature and sinful. They were sinning not because of the Holy Spirit's absence, but in spite of the Holy Spirit's presence. Even when a Christian sins, one is still indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And it is that very fact that makes one's sin even worse. When a Christian grieves the Spirit or quenches the Spirit, in 1 Thessalonians, one grieves or quenches the Spirit who resides within Right? It's not this external entity, it's within us. That's who we're grieving. The command, unlike all previous mentions of spirit filling, in Ephesians 5.18, Paul commands believers to continue to be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. He employs an imperative. That's what an imperative is, a command, to insist that they continuously submit. Being filled authenticates one's genuine salvation by allowing God's will to prevail in obedience to Scripture's teaching and the Holy Spirit's direction. All right, so hopefully um, that was encouraging and useful about this idea of being filled. And again, a lot of times it's confusing, filled, indwelling, you know, what does that mean? Hopefully we understand that distinction now. A couple verses again, how... John 7, 17, If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. I apologize, I don't think I read number three yet. Again, the how he's transforming us. The Holy Spirit illuminates regenerate people whose minds are filled with God's Word to the application of righteous and wise living in all settings and circumstances and phases of life. In this way, he is the divine teacher working with, not outside, his inspired word. So now it's about, um, you know, how do we do this? How do we contr- be controlled by the Holy Spirit? That's really what section three is going to be talking about. So I just read John 7, right? If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know the teaching. 
the teaching, God's word, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. 1 John 2.20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. Again, our ability to interpret Scripture, that special revelation that I started with, comes from the Holy Spirit. And then 1 John 2.27, And as for you, the anointing which you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in Him. If you can, go over to Romans Chapter 8, because I love it. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness. Some of your translations might say testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Again, this should be a great assurance. right? He bears witness, this pledge, this sealing, this stamp on us that we are children of God. And so let me ask you, how, you know, again, if what does that look like? We just talked about it. it's not this emotional thing that we know that the Spirit is bearing witness. How do we, how do we know that? How does it show itself? What do you think? Desire? Absolutely. We talked about it earlier, Galatians 5, right? You're going to see evidence in the fruit of your life, right? In the examination of your life, you're going to see it play out. Um, regardless, though, of whether you feel it or not, this is truth. As a believer, the Spirit bears witness. That person is mine for eternity. All right, very, very encouraging. All right, yes, please. I was going to say, <clears throat> the other thing about that verse is, is it says that he bears witness with our spirit. Mm. And so there's like a, there's a uh, recognition in the believer that is true to claim that you are a child of God and it's based on what we said the work that the Spirit has done in us and through us in the past. Yes. So that at our accounting we can full, with full assurance say I am a child of God. And that's, that's exactly what I was after Alex, right? Is that bearing witness with our spirit. How do we know that, right? And the account of that. So good. Good point. Comment? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Just in the very first months of being a believer, I um, one of the things that verified to me that I was a believer was that God was convicting me of my sins, and I knew that was that He disciplines those He loves, mm -hmm. and so that's a work of the Spirit too. To me, that was um, verification and a testimony that I was a child of God. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's. Let's kind of pull that application a little bit, this idea of the, the Spirit testifying with our spirit. Um, that was kind of the, the sense of my question. How do we know that? Alex, you hit some things. Kareen, you hit some things, right? We get convicted, right? Because the Spirit loves us, because God disciplines those that He loves. He doesn't just leave you in your sin, right? So we talked about earlier about the command of putting off. How do we know what to put off unless the Spirit is convicting us? Unless we understand what God's truth is telling us. Right? That's the foundation. To renew our mind. What is it? What are we renewing our mind on? The truth. Right? The special revelation that we have at our fingertips 24-7. And it goes back to 
What often happens when you're in a situation, right, where you're conflicted or tempted with sin? If you've been renewing your mind, what happens? Scripture, Scripture comes to mind. Who is that? That's the Holy Spirit. That's being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's yielding to the Holy Spirit. To put on new behaviors. How do we know what behaviors to put on? Scripture, right? The truth. Galatians 5, the fruit. That's what we're supposed to be walking in. Comment? No? no? <laughs> Good. How else? How else can we be renewing our minds specifically? We talked about you know, reading, being in the Word. Um, we could talk about being in a growing disciples class. Prayer. Prayer, right? We often say, prayer often seems like the last resort. It just it seems to be in our culture. And it should be the first thing we do. That's how we commune with the Lord. That's how we commune with God. That's how, and, and guess what? Again, in Romans 8, what does it say? What does the Holy Spirit do? He groans for us in intercession before the Lord. According to what? According to God's will. Right? What is God's will? That we be transformed into the image of Christ. Do you see how all of that's working together? He's not only filling us, or, or us being filled, he, He's not only indwelling in us, but He's working with God the Father, interceding for us with groanings we can't even begin to understand. And what's the focus? That God's will would be done in our lives. That's awesome. Creed, did you have another comment? I was just going to say that when we obey, then He, um, he brings more understanding, more um, fruit, more... So as far as... Um, but as far as us um, growing in our um, in our walk in our faith, we just uh, just by obeying, he uses that to reveal more to us. And Absolutely, we grow. Um, we have our senses trained to discern good and evil when we practice. Yeah, the obedience you know reinforces that relationship, if you will. Um, and, and I think allows us to, to um, yield more uh, efficiently. I'm not saying that right. It, it comes quicker, right? It's, it becomes easier as, as you kind of stack those successes, if you will, if that makes sense. So, Alex. I was thinking, too, another, another good sign is a, is, um, a growing dependency. Mm. As, you know, like... <laughs> we always think like, you know, we get like these milestones and I walk and we're like, okay, you know, I got it from here. <laughs> Until you fall again and you realize like, you know, like as you mature, you realize like literally to even breathe is by the grace of God. Yeah. You know, and I can't, I can't even breathe on my own. Mm. I cannot sustain my own existence apart from the grace of God. Yeah. And uh, when you grow... When you grow in that dependency, I was thinking like when you mentioned difficult situations, you know, your your instinct is to, even if you don't have a prayer in your mind, is, God, I need help. Yeah. I can't do this. Yeah. Well, I don't know what to do. Yeah. i got to do something, you know. And uh, I think that's a huge uh, testimony of, of, of uh, us seeing him as our father, mm. that we ask of him, and we know he gives good things to us. Um Great point, Alex. And I think that's what I was trying to, to explain further. You did a much better job, though, of as you are maturing, you know, a crisis happens. 
and, and maybe early in your, your walk with Christ, what's your natural inclination? You know, you start worrying, you start trying to fix it yourself. And hopefully as you are being matured, your first in, instinct is to run to God. Is to run to God in prayer, to run to God in Scripture, and let that be your, your foundation, your reinforce, reinforcement. And I think what you'll see is you quickly start to handle situations much, much quicker going to God versus spending a lot of time struggling in your own power, right? So that's exactly what I was trying to point out. Glenn. Um, this process that you're involved in provides for us a great blessing of greater assurance um, so that we, um, as we engage in this process, or even our desire to do so, yeah. even as we fail and see that it's bad, to see that it's a, oh, I failed, I can't go over forgiving. That should provide greater assurance that you are this child. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And I think as you grow, as you grow in, in truth, as uh, what happens, we get a greater understanding of who God is, yeah. right? And it just builds on that desire. And it gives us a much better, a correct understanding of who we are without Christ and in Christ. Miss Diane. And I, I don't even know if I'm going to articulate this well, but one of the ways that I know I am maturing and growing is when I'm thinking about Romans 8.28, that good that he's working, not being about like that positive outcome I want, more so that conformity to his image. That really is the ultimate good. And when I see myself focused on how I'm changing in mm -hmm. the midst of the situation, mm -hmm then that's that reassurance that, okay, he is completing that good work that he began. In yeah, yeah. Let me read that. I, it's a great verse. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Right? It always goes back to his purpose. But that realization and resting in that, mm -hmm. there's such peace and being able to rest in, in the truth of that scripture. Excellent. Good. Um, we talked several weeks ago. I don't remember which topic we were talking about, but Pastor Allen framed it really well. You know, when we're confronting sin, there, there's different actions we're to take. So against the devil, what are we supposed to do? Resist. Resist. Stand, stand firm. firm. <laughs> right? And you stand firm with scripture. What are we supposed to do with the lust of the flesh? Flee. Flee. Right? And so, again, as we're being filled, as we are filled with the Spirit and we're in truth, that hopefully becomes more apparent to us. That when we see those temptations, and we each have our areas, right, where it's like the enemy knows exactly what to do. Our ability to flee quicker, faster, with more force, right, as we grow in the Word and as we grow in maturity. Right, again, the focus is being transformed into the image of Christ. And that's going to happen either until the rapture or until the day you die. Right, and we meet that point of, of glorification. So it is a continuous, continuous work. All right, any other comments or questions on that? Yes? Yeah, and I think we see the, the Spirit's illumination kind of like an example of it in Isaiah 6, right? He illuminates our minds to the reality of God's character and who we are in contrast to who we are. Absolutely. Because, um, for example, Isaiah 6, uh, when he sees this vision of the Lord um, in his holiness, um, he says, woe is me, for I am ruined, right? Mm -hmm. And then you go down to verse 7, he has this 
con strong conviction of sin, but then in verse 7, behold, this coal, right? This has touched your lips, and your iniquity, iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Right? Yeah. So that constant conviction in light of understanding God's character and who he is and his attributes, um, and then confirming in us with that seal of the Spirit, right, that we are forgiven um, and that we are to yep. continue to be sanctified. Yeah, that's a great, great reference. I, I share often, I might have been in this class, but... Um, it wasn't until I studied Attributes of God. Pink is, is our, uh, Pink, not the singer, the, the writer. Um, it's, a, it's a quick little book. Language is a little bit difficult to read, but it was that book that really opened up my, my desire and intensity to understand God, right? And to really have a high, high view. And as you study his attributes, and you're like, Wow, this is the God we serve. It puts everything in perspective. The beauty, though, right, as we now, and now what does that do for my sin? It just makes it so ugly and so clear. And yet, Romans 8, 1, what does it say? No condemnation. no condemnation. We can recognize it because it gives us a very high view of God and a low view of ourselves, which is good, but it doesn't add the guilt of condemnation, right? That's the beauty of it. Romans 8, you got to love it. All right, let's go to the application pages on 72, and we're back to that box in the middle. So again, last week we talked about baptism, indwelling, sealing, all works of God, right? Unconditional, one way, and it happens at the point of salvation. Today, we talked about the idea of sanctification, filling, and illuminating. That last section was on the Holy Spirit illuminating the Word. All right, so this idea of sanctification, what is it? The ongoing process of being formed to That's it. That's it. If you want a uh, reference, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And when does it happen? Regeneration to death. Okay, salvation onward. Regeneration to death or rapture or however that works out. Good. All right, how about filling? We spent a lot of time today talking about filling. And, and I want to encourage you guys, if there are any questions or something I didn't explain well, please let's talk about it. It's really important that we understand this concept of being filled. What is it? What is being filled? Controlled. controlled. Yielding to the Holy Spirit. Being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. When does it happen? From salvation prior to glorification. Okay, yeah, and it happens continuously, right? We are commanded to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And who does that work? God and us, right? It, it's a dual um, effort, if you will. Absolutely by the power of the Holy Spirit, but, but it was a command for us. We have to walk faithfully in that command, right? You've got to get that. We're the ones that control how we are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Not absent from the power of the Holy Spirit, of course. Okay? That's really, really important. And then the illuminating. What is that? Yeah. The Holy Spirit opening our eyes and our minds to God's truth. A good passage there is John 16, 13, and 14. And when does that happen? Glad. Same response. <laughs> From salvation on. Right, absolutely. Right, so you can see the distinction then between last week and this week. God doing the work, 
God only doing the work, right? Being baptized into the body of Christ, the indwelling, the Spirit now living within us, different than what we saw in the Old Testament. It's sealed, that pledged, that we are His forever. And now this week, we talk about this dual work of sanctification, being conformed into the image of Christ. We play a role in that, of being filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit, and God illuminating our understanding. He cannot, the Holy Spirit can't illuminate our understanding if we're not in the Word. Right? We must be in the Word of God. Okay, good. Alright, let's look at some of these questions then. How does the Holy Spirit communicate to believers today? Um. <laughs> <laughs> A plus for Alex. <laughs> How does the Holy Spirit communicate? Through His Word, of course. right? Through His revealed Word. Special revelation. Good reference, John 16, 13, and 14 again. With a conviction by the Holy Spirit, be also communication? Yeah, yeah, I like that. Kareen said, um, by convicting us, that's how he speaks to us, right? Through conviction. Alex? A real answer? Yeah, well, I have a question, actually. Okay. Uh, What about, uh, I don't know how really to word this, but what about probings? I do. I think we have to be very careful. Right, right. Right? Um, I think we have to go back to Scripture to say what do we see as far as how we explain that. One way is what Kareen said through convictions, right? I think is one way that that gets communicated to us. Um, We have to be very careful about the feeling, right, as far as a direction. And I think when we look about getting direction from God, um, there's there's a multitude of things we have to bring together. And it starts with with God's Word, right? Does anything in God's Word prohibit us from, let's say, moving in a certain direction? A career, career decision, okay? Often what we find is we are actually given a lot of liberty, to make decisions based on God's moral law, right? As long as it doesn't um, go against His moral law, is it going to be doing anything that would hurt your family as far as time or commitment, right? In the context of a career decision. Um, is it going to help your walk with the Lord or is it going to hinder it? And then I would, I would suggest now you go talk to some people you really trust, Right, men and women of faith that have maybe gone before you or experienced can give you some different aspects. So, um, all that to say, and then prayer, of course, you want to be in much prayer. You may not, at the end of the day, most likely get the the big sign that says, you know, neon lights, do this. That never, that rarely happens. But there can be a peace that you've gone before the Lord and you're going to trust that He's going to guide your path. So my only caution is we have to be very careful about the the probings, the feelings. You can start to migrate into a very dangerous place, right? And, And say, and that's why that question is important. How is the Spirit communicating? Today, He primarily does it through through the Word. And the convictions and the other aspects, I would argue, really point us back to the Word. We're convicted, hopefully, to go back to... You remember that scripture you read yesterday? Right? That's what we're being convicted about. That has to be the, the, um, the path that we have. Does that make sense? Not the answer you wanted, but that's how I would answer. Anyone want to add to that or share to that? That's a really important topic. Lawrence. So oftentimes if we talk to a Pentecostal or charismatic person and they say the Spirit made me do this or that. <laughs> so 
do we just like how should we engage that or should we like keep our distance, but what is your recommendation? Yeah, so we, we don't have all the time to go into it, but um, Lawrence, if you get a chance to listen to the recording, because we talked a lot about that today, what I would say is you can start with, what is what do you mean the Holy Spirit You know, talk to you? You, know, you can start to pull that thread. What you want to do them is draw them back to Scripture. <clears throat> and then you can ask them, can you show me the Scripture you're referencing You know, as... as um, justification, if you will, that's a strong word, but you know why you believe the way you were, you do, because that's you know we talked about. I started our discussion about um, Karina and I came from a charismatic church when we first got saved, um, and so we have some experience in that, and it's it's dangerous. But what we want to do is be very gracious. These people, I will tell you, when it comes to prayer, these people were prayer warriors. I mean, they loved the Lord. They just they had some bad theology. Um, and we, we want to, as brothers and sisters, to just be gracious. But how do we do that? We just bring them back to the Word. Have them show you in Scripture why they believe what they believe. Yeah, I would ask, what is your rationale? Yeah, what is your reasoning? exactly. Rather than what is your feeling? That's right. right. It's not about the feeling. And again, we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Is it necessarily a feeling? Right. The Spirit testifying with our spirit isn't necessarily this, this feeling we have every day. We got to be careful about our cup being filled, and now we're we're emotional and like, yeah, I got the spirit in me today. You always have the spirit as a believer, Mr. Rex. One thing to be careful about: a lot of times they can show you scripture out of context. Exactly. And you need to understand that they'll take you to this verse, mm-hmm. say this is the verse. Yeah. But in the context, that's not at all what that yeah. verse is teaching. Rex, so you are very careful. Yeah, you are spot on. Right. Um, the devil used Scripture against Jesus, tempting him, right, out of context. So yes, take them to the Word, but we have to take them in the Word in context and challenge their context. That's why what we just talked about, being illuminated in the Spirit, is so important. We need to understand our Bible and the context of it. And one of the ways you do that is by attending a class like this. So kudos to y'all. <laughs> Ms. Lola. I think that there is like two kinds of person. Some are in this kind of movements because they are really are seeking more from the Lord. And I think with time, can, the Lord can use you or use another way to redirect this person to the right doctrine, to the right theology, and make them grow in their faith. Yeah. But there is another kind of people or person that they are there because they enjoy this kind of things. And you cannot yep. really, because they are just there because they want it. Yeah. And they are not seeking more for the Lord, but... For the answer, yeah. fulfill whatever they want. Absolutely, yeah. So, so we need to have this kind of understanding yeah. and don't start battles that they are lose because they are not from the Lord. Yeah, yeah. You bring up a great point, and, and I'll <laughs> emphasize, right, we are always, our, our speech is always to be gracious. Truth in love. But sometimes that love needs to be firm, right? There are cases where they, they want that feeling. They want that desire. Nothing you're going to say. And that might mean you have to show them some tough love. right? Here's what the scripture says. So that's a great point. Good. All right, second question. The command to be filled with the Spirit is both in the active, something we do, and passive, something that is done to us. What is our part? We've talked about this a little bit. but Yielding, yielding right? To be filled by the Spirit. That's the command. What else, though, to repent and confess of our sin? Because remember, as we talked about, sin interrupts that process of yielding and being controlled by the Spirit. 
So when we have sin in our life, we need to repent. We need to confess it. Good. And then what is God's part? Illumination. Illumination. To, be, to fill us with the Holy Spirit. To lead, empower us. Illuminate our eyes. Good. All right. Does that make sense? Again, we talked about six terms of the Holy Spirit or roles, if you will. It can get very confusing, especially... Um, in regards to some of our backgrounds and where we came from, some of the movements we see today, Pentecostal, Charismatic. And again, I'm not being critical of them. Some of those are brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? And we need to be gracious, but speak truth in love to them. But very dangerous, some of the, the aspects that they're bringing to bear about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is never looking for His own glorification. It is always pointing to Jesus Christ. And the work in us is to conform us to Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So again, I thought those two tables were a really good way of distinguishing or summarizing um, all the different aspects of the Holy Spirit. So it's a great reference to go back to because sometimes it can get, get very confusing. You know, indwelling, filling, what is that? So go back to those passages. All good? All right, let me close in prayer.